Hello, and welcome to the Drum History Podcast. I'm your host, Bart Vanderzee, and today we are talking about Camco with our good friend, Joe Luoma. Joe, how are you, man? I'm doing great, Bart. How are you doing? Good, good. This is, uh, we, this is really cool. We met at the Chicago Drum Show, and, um, and Camco is one of those companies that kind of has like a, a mystique about them. Like there's a little bit of mystery and there's the George Way stuff. And um, and I know Ron Danette is kind of involved with the new George Way stuff. It's just, it's honestly, it's a big mystery to me. So I'm, I'm really excited to have you here to, to clarify some stuff. Okay, well, let's see, what, let's see if I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> sure, exactly. I'll let you just take it away. And um, why don't you start at the beginning of the history of Camco? Okay, this is a podcast, right? This is a podcast. Let me get in my pod and let's uh, <laughs> yeah. let's hit it. Get in your pod and we're off. <laughs> we're off to space. <laughs> uh, off to the podcast. Okay. Uh, first of all, let me say on Camco, there is an excellent book out now called "The Leady Way." It is by Rob Cook, and this is a biography of uh, George Way, and uh, it's also the history of the Leady Drum Company. Uh, but Rob Cook doesn't great job on books he's also got an incredible grudge book and other books out so and uh, anybody listening please go and buy these books and support this guy anybody yes. who writes a book like this is not making is not in it for the money so uh so all the support we can and uh that would be great so that will uh that covers a lot of stuff about george way and you cannot talk about Campco without talking about george way because they were basically his drums uh, and um, George started out what 1957, and uh, first of all, he just started selling snare drums, and uh, he had two lines. I think what were there the? They both had the round turret lugs. This is way before DW, and uh, one line was called Aristocrat, and the other was Spartan, and uh, just the snare drums. The Aristocrat were the separate lugged drums top and bottom and the spartan were the center lug but both drums were those round turret lugs and uh there's the earlier ones this was uh let's see oh yeah they were out of elkhart indiana and the first drums very thin three ply shells and uh then they went to a four ply shell um and then later on in 57 they added uh, bass drums and tom toms and um uh, but, uh, but it's funny in the in their catalogs they only showed three piece sets, and uh, back then a twelve inch tom was on a twenty two inch bass drum that seemed to be normal for them mm-hmm. instead of a thirteen tom. So you'll find these old George Way sets they have a twenty two bass sixteen floor tom, but they'll have a twelve inch tom. A lot of times it's a twelve on top, and usually the matching snare drum. Uh, and I've got a beautiful red sparkle kit in that configuration. Nice. Uh, yeah, and then uh, uh, let's see what. Uh, then they had their endorsers. I know uh, this is kind of funny. I, uh, let's see. Oh, I have a catalog right here on the back. It has uh, this would be the early uh, G- George Way catalog. It has Onita O'Day's drummer. His name is John Poole, and he has a Rogers Swivomatic Tom mount holding his Tom Tom mount. And this thing you'll see Robert's Rogers Swivomatic mounts. On, on on quite a number of Camco drum sets. Interesting. And um, we're not sure if the factory would put them on or if they'd put them on afterwards, but uh, Eddie Knight, Eddie Knight School of Music and Camco endorser, always put a Roger Swivelmatic mount to hold the toms up, which is great. Yeah. It worked great. Yeah. You know? Let me, let me and, ask you real quick, yeah. though. So 
starting out, was this George Way drums or was this Camco drums? Because I know there was the George Way drum company. They were George Way, G-O-W-A. Geo was Geo period W-A drums. And it uh, wasn't, yeah, they went on until, oh, like I know the 1961 catalog. These were still on George Way drums now. Okay. They had, uh, they added a little snare, a four and a half by 14 snare drum, a casino aristocrat snare drum. That's a highly collectible drum. And it's funny for their uh, copy underneath, they said, the neatest and best looking narrow drum ever made. So, you know, why would you look any further? You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. that's funny. <laughs> and then they also added that little 14 by 20 bass drum and the little 14 by 14 floor tom. And, uh, and then I, in 61 also, that's where the, uh, the new tuxedo models replaced the Spartan models. And the tuxedo model had something called the tuxedo lug, which is not the round turret lug, but a uh, kind of a cigar shaped lug. And their endorsers, actually endorser at that time was Sonny, and, Sonny Greer, big one, and uh, Eddie Knight, uh, also another endorser. Uh, and, that, and after that, George Way lost the company to John Rashan of the Campco. Uh, Campco. Uh, they, were, uh, they, they manufactured hardware and screws and all kinds of uh, things. And, uh, but John Rashan, the owner of Campco, took uh, full over 51% ownership and uh, kind of, and George Way uh, left the company. Uh, and then that's when they became Camco. Got and I, that had a, yeah, 62, 1962, I believe, not 61, 62, I think. And uh, then John Rashawn moved the company to Oakland, Illinois. Uh, they made a few changes. They offered a 18 inch bass drum, uh, they offered a parallel strainer snare drum that was at that time called a 701 Super. And they had, and, and if you actually see that catalog, 62 or 63 catalog, they have what I consider the Holy Grail. I don't know if they ever made it even. It is a three and a half by 14 jazz model snare drum, and it has miniature aristocrat round lugs. You could get this in wood or metal. Now, these shallow shell drums show up, but they have the full-size lug on them. I've never seen one with that miniature lug. Hmm. And uh, although it might not have worked well anyway, because the rods would go directly into each other. So there's not much room, you know, for the, before those rods would start hitting each other. They're not staggered. So maybe it was just a prototype or something like that that they just tried out and threw on the catalog. Uh, that could be, yeah, could have made it in the catalog, and in, in production they realized that, oops, this might not work. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, cool. Uh, and then also their number one endorser came on board for, for a few years. That's Nick Ciroli from the Tijuana Brass. They hit it big, and Nick Ciroli used a Campco, a little 20-inch bass, 12 and 14 toms, and a matching snare in burgundy sparkle. And uh, Campco, fortunately for me, or, and people who like those sizes, that 20 with a 12, 14 and matching snare, Campco made a lot of those sets. That was a big set for them. So, uh, and that's the size I play. So that's why that's, I'm, I was pretty happy about that. So. Wow. Now in this time, so we're in the 60s, they were primarily, one thing I've kind of seen is they weren't exactly uh, going after the rock market as much as the jazz 
kind of players, right? Because a lot of guys were using Ludwig and stuff in the rock world. They seem to be more like uh, jazz drums. Right. Uh, although they did have Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys as an endorser. Yeah, that's cool. And two gigantic drummers of the area play, of that era played Camco drums. One was Doug, Doug Clifford of Creedence Clearwater Revival. I mean, listen to the drums on those recordings. And, yeah. and the other is the great Jim Gordon. I mean, who played with everybody, you know, Derek and the Dominoes, uh, Eric Clapton, Traffic, George Harrison, John Lennon, Jackson Brown, got Frank Zappa. Oh, Carly Simon. Yeah. Uh, listen to the drums on You're So Vain. Those are Campco Oakline. That's awesome. And uh, so two, the two big, I think Doug Clifford may have endorsed them, but he was never featured in the catalog. I don't, Jim, Jim Gordon never did endorse them, but there's two big rock players who used Oakline campco drums cool and they were a studio drum too number of studios would use the sets because they record well okay so they they kind of permeated into the into culture without uh you know being on the ed sullivan show or whatever but they were still heard all over due to these uh studios right right uh yeah that's um yeah and they seem for the studio campco the oakland drums Jasper Shell, the Jasper Shell Company, the same that made Gretsch Round Badge, mm-hmm. and the early Rogers Eagle Batch drums were uh, Jasper Shell. Um, uh, but uh, the Jasper Shell, it seems those drums, uh, for some reason, I think close mic and the drums close mic well. Uh, and that's just my guess, but they, that's, I know even my camp go Oakland's when I bring them in the studio, we never have a problem getting the sound and it's always instantly. Mm. And, uh, you know, where, in fact, the engineer will sometimes say, wow, that was painless. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Just to back up, to clarify. So Camco, when the, so Camco was an existing company, you said making screws and stuff. Was that a drum company or were they literally making like hardware for, uh, hardware's sake, like screws and nuts and bolts. Like, what's the story with you know Camco before they became Camco that we know? Well, I think they were a Camco screw company, uh, and I think they made nuts and bolts, wow. and uh, they made stands, snare stands, cymbal stands. They made. They got into the hardware business, drum hardware, and uh, where John Rashan, I guess, just wanted eventually to, to you know, to start making drums too, and. Uh, so that's how they ended up with it. And, um, Got it. Uh, yeah, and also in that era, I should say, they went from a four-ply shell to a six-ply shell. There's still Jasper Shells, a uh, shell company making them, but they went to six plies in, um, mid, in the uh, mid-60s. Hmm. Okay. And um, also in the mid-60s, they did some changes. They finally put flared out floor tom legs, and uh, they came up with six-sided spur bracket and uh uh but anyway um yeah and then they went into uh yeah uh they then later on in the 60s they added the uh 18 and 20 inch floor toms they came up with some lacquer finishes one of like ebony walnut uh, what uh they have clear maple moss green stain and nick Soroli was still their main endorser he was the big guy in the 60s and then uh, they went, let's see, they ended up a uh, custom amplifier company, bought them. And in 1971 to 73, 
they moved to Chanute, Kansas. Well, the custom was in Chanute anyway. I don't know how many drums they built in Chanute. Uh, quality went down a little bit. They weren't as fussy. It's still good drums, nice Jasper shell drums. But I've had uh, sets from this era, the Chanute era, where the top bearing, the bearing edge on the top tom was, was either sharper or flatter than the floor tom, different bearing edge. Uh, uh, the reinforcing rings are kind of crushed in. Uh, Jasper would have done that, but I think Jasper, well, maybe they did it, but they weren't as fussy about them. But they were still good sounding drums. Uh, Jim Gordon had a Chanute kit, and nobody complained about the sound of that. In fact, that one I see just sold on eBay. His, that's a 22 base, 12, 13, 16. I think it came to about four grand for those drums because they were Jim Gordon's yeah. drums. Cool. And uh, he only had two Campco sets. The other was an Oakland that he recorded a lot with, and um, I don't know who has that. But uh, So it was kind of fun to see that uh, famous Campco set out there. Oh, and another famous set. Is, <laughs> it was funny. Uh, last winter we were uh, in Phoenix at the incredible place called the MIM, the Musical Instrument Museum. Incredible museum. In fact, you can spend two days there. It's new instruments from all over the world. But they had a, their uh, one exhibit was the birth of the electric guitar. And all these guitars, famous guitars, George Harrison, Eric Clapton, all these famous guitars and uh, amplifiers. And there's only one drum set in the middle. And that belonged to Doug Clifford. There was his Camco. 22 bass, 13 and 16 walnut Oakland set, uh, and uh, it looked like it. Uh, it looked it had some use. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure playing with Credence all those oh, years. It was well used, but what a famous kit! Yeah, know? wow. I've heard of that yeah. museum and seen videos of uh, different exhibits and stuff, and it looks awesome. So it's it's cool to know there's a Camco set there. Yeah, it is awesome. That museum, we were amazed. Like I said, you could spend two days there. Um, and, uh, yeah, just we, we had a blast. We just had a blast there. So That's next fun. time, we'll, we'll definitely the whole day, spend the whole day. Yeah. Uh, now, let me ask you, too. So when you're talking about the different eras, and we're obviously not done with the company yet, but so it seems like a lot mm-hmm. of the Oak Lawn is pretty sought after. Right, like that seems to be like an era that people really, really like, which would be the kind of uh, early '60s. That's post Elkhart when it actually got bought and became Camco. Is that kind of the, the most desired uh, iteration of of Camco drums? Yeah, for the vintage Camco sound in the six, Oakland went all through in, uh, from probably about '62 to uh, what '68, '62 uh, into into. Uh, even uh, yeah, uh, even the Chanute is still uh, the same sound, uh, but that is um, the Oakland is uh, more collectors seem to go for the Oakland. Although they did change quite a bit when they went to Los Angeles, mm. and that would be what in 1973, because they moved from Chanute, Kansas, and. Uh, the, the company moved to Los Angeles, and they started using Keller shells, a different company. They had a whole different type of shell, undersized, uh, the bearing edge very unique, a lot of timpani action. The head would just float on the drum. Uh, as you go up the side of the shell, uh, it would, the, the edge would start tapering toward the center, and then come, so the 
Edge was more toward the inner uh, inner plies of the drum than than anybody else, and um, those drums are are nice drums. Uh, some people might say they're a more modern sounding drum, but they have a they're loud. They got a big boom to them. And I've got LA kits, and uh, you know sometimes I like them too. But I prefer the Oakland. Oaklands, I can, if you want to, they have a wide tuning range. You mm. want to crank them up, they'll go really high, they'll go really, they'll do anything you want. Gotcha. Uh, uh, but the LAs are nice drums, beautiful finishes, and uh, yeah, just beautiful. They had like four different stains, four lacquer finishes, and four covered finishes. And uh, almost all the uh, lacquer and cover were solid colors. They only offered a white marine pearl. That was the only pearl. Uh, otherwise, it was like a solid red, solid blue, solid black. Wow. They had <laughs> they had Alice Cooper blue and Alice Cooper white. That's funny. Uh, Why did I they know Alice Cooper was a drummer? <laughs> I mean, was there a reason behind that? Like doing that Alice Cooper series? Yeah, uh, Al, uh, his drummer used the you know he really? you, I think he used the Alice Cooper white. That's funny. I, I don't. I suppose he used both of them. I yeah. don't know. Um, yeah. So anyway, but they figured Alice Cooper was more more famous, so they're going <laughs> to the use drummer. Him. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Now, yeah, is uh, funny. is Custom still the owner when we get into the uh, the Los Angeles period? They still own it or no? No, Beckman Music bought it. Uh, they let's see. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they became owner. So it was a whole just totally changed hands. Custom. Uh, the owner of Custom had his hands in a lot of different things, boats, and uh, and mm-hmm. um, he just wanted out. And um, so uh, they ended up in Los Angeles. And uh, uh, bef- and then that went till about 1977, and Don Lombardi uh, with a Drum Workshop uh, took it over. He took over. Um, actually, that company was split up between Hoshino, uh, Tama, mm-hmm. and uh, and Don. And uh, Don ended up with all the hardware, and Hoshino ended up with the name. And Hoshino went on to make the last version of Camco drums, USA-made Camco drums. Okay. Those were made, there was, they were out of Ben Salem, ben Salem Pennsylvania. And uh, those shells were made in the U.S., and they're either by Jasper or Keller. I, I, nobody knows yet. And they're beautiful drums. Uh, they have, uh, they're just precision. They even go on about their precision bearing edges in their catalog, how important it is for them. Uh, finishes are just phenomenal. They had a Renaissance series that had uh, in hand inlays in it. And uh, they're beautiful drums. But unfortunately, after that, Camco used the, that name, or Tama used the Camco name to put out an entry-level set. Mm. And a lot of people associate, those were kind of common, and they associate the Hoshino name with um, those entry, the Hoshino Camco with those entry-level sets. Really? So, uh, and these sets, this was uh, the Hoshino USA-made Camco were from 1978 to 1980. And uh, there were six-ply shells, and these shells did not have reinforcing rings. The only Camco drums that did not have reinforcing rings, and they had their they had one main endorser, and that was Elvin Jones. Wow, that's a good one. In fact, yep, Steve Maxwell had or has Elvin Jones set. 
I don't know if he still has it or not, but if he doesn't, it was beyond his uh, Maxwell drums on the website, hmm. at least pictures of it. Cool. And, uh, and that was the end. Uh, in fact, I did a in 2015 at the Chicago Drum Show with Jim Messina. I did a video, and we called it the Four Seasons of Campco. So we, I have a set, a George Way set, a Campco Oaklawn, a Campco L.A., and a, a, a Campco Hoshino set, all four of them set up, and we go over all four of them. And uh, so if you go online, you could easily dial that up and you can get an idea what, um, yeah, what, yeah, what they look like. That's great. And now, so yeah. this period of like when DW sort of begins um, and Tama is involved or Hoshino, then um, the 5,000 pedal. You want to talk a little bit about that? Because I know this sort of has, it's a part of history. I mean, it's one of the most famous pedals in history. And that was originally a Camco pedal, correct? Originally, it was a Martin Fleetfoot. And I believe they were made in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota. Actually, I'm in Frostbite Falls, Minnesota. Uh, but uh, they're a, it's a Minnesota pedal. And Camco uh, bought the rights to that pedal. And also, that's the same basically the same pedal as the Gretsch floating action. And uh, so that came from the, the Martin Fleetfoot turned into the Campco and the floating Gretsch floating action pedal. And then from there is uh, DW ended up with uh, all the hardware. And uh, they, uh, that pedal is still similar to the original. I think the upright piece is, I don't know. I haven't seen the new, the new ones. So they're getting so heavy duty. Maybe, yeah. they, uh, maybe they beef that up too. Yeah. Um, but phenomenal pedal. You get an old Campco pedal and, you know, uh, oh, they added the chain to it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that the was... The original th- ones were strap drive. Okay, and that was like a sort of a um, kind of a, a hack that was going on a little bit where people were doing that and converting them and then it obviously caught on. Um, and then there's also a Tama Camco pedal that looks similar to it, right? That would be in the same vein because I right. guess they had the, the name. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, yeah. Yeah, their pedal is, in fact, if you look, in, even in the, their pedal in the, it's identical, except it has the chain drive, but it's identical to the original Campco pedal, uh, the Hoshino Campco pedal. Uh, so Thomas started putting that out immediately. Yeah. Uh, they had beefed, all the other stands, beefed up stands, you know, like Tom I did. They had stands. You could hold your car up with those stands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Heavy, heavy duty. Uh, but the pedal was still that little lightweight Campco. Just a nice, basic, lightweight little pedal. Works great. Yeah, it does. And yeah. it's, I mean, so in that period of hardware and pedals and stuff, why did it resonate so much with people? Was it just because of the ease and the smoothness of it? I mean, why is it, why did it become such a iconic pedal? Uh, because it works so well. Mm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And it's like, unlike a Speed King, you could adjust it too. Mm-hmm. A Speed King pedal works great uh, if you like that angle. You know, it's not adjustable. Sure. Uh, unless you would bend the rod, your beater rod. That's the only way you could adjust that angle of the pedal of how far back it went. Uh, but uh, just a nice, simple, little, lightweight pedal that worked great. So I'd still play one today, no problem. 
That's mm-hmm. great. You know something's good when it lasts that long. Yeah, yeah, they, that's one of those things they designed right. Just like if you go back to the Ludwig Superphonic 400 snare drum. Yeah. I mean, it was designed right. It was I, done right. Yeah, it was done right. There's, if you can't make that drum sound good, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why yeah. it doesn't <laughs> So um, another thing that I think is really worth talking about in, in a little more detail is the um, George Way turret lugs or the round lugs, which, like you said, everyone thinks of DW. Like I would think most drummers today who aren't really aware of the Camco history who are listening to this and learning about this probably don't know the history behind that and that that has been around for a very long time um, before DW existed. So, I mean, that's just a pretty pretty cool history in itself. Right. The lug goes back to 1957 when George Way designed it. And it's. I'm still amazed when I... I, I, I I play in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. I was never a road drummer. I, I just, I was able to, I made a living for many years just playing in this area, fortunately. And I was always surprised when people saw my Camco sets, and the, the ones who knew it was a Camco set instead of a DW. And, uh, uh, you know, but they'd see the badge, that little cloud badge. Sure. Maybe that gave it away. It doesn't have that round DW badge on it. But, uh I know my first Camco set, when I saw it, this was way before DW, I was uh, in the 70s, uh, I was in a music store, it was a used set, and it looked kind of cartoonish with those big round lugs. Yeah. It reminded me of a, like a mine floating in the water, <laughs> you know, that yeah. ships were trying to avoid or something. They got those big round lugs on it. So I bought it, this price was right, I bought this, it was an old George Way Camco, Camco from the George Way shells, the old floor ply shells. I, we brought it into the studio and we put it, they had a Yamaha recording custom set. And I said, let's put these up. And we put them up and everybody was pretty amazed at how good they sound. Now, I'm not going to say they sound better than a recording custom. They sound different. You know, everybody has their idea of what good is, you know. Recording custom drums are, you know, nice sounding drums. But I like, I just like the Camp Go Oh, you know, these, I, I, this is the sound I like. When I heard them, I, don't, I collect everything. I collect Ludwig, Rogers, Slingerland, and, but I play Camco. Mm. That's the only thing I play. Gretsch Round Badge, love those drums. Not crazy about the tall hoops, uh, because if I use a superphonic or a different snare drum, even an old 20s Ludwig snare drum, the hoops are lower, and my tom hoops then are higher. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's like I end up, I'd rather have the tom hoops the same height or even lower than the snare drum. Yeah. Uh, and an 8-lug, 12-inch drum is hard to get another hoop on. My Camco drums, I switch the hoops. I don't use those tall rollover hoops because they stick up too high. I use the era they had where the brass hoop, regular triple flange brass hoop. Hmm. That was from a short era before they went to a cheap, uh, cheaper hoop from overseas. Cool. Yeah. Now, there's no, um, yeah. there's no like sonic difference in using these round lugs it's just kind of a george way being innovative and being different sort of thing right well i'd say that you'd have to physically you'd look at the drum and you'd say that's a lot of hardware mounted on that shell sure and i know the 12 inch drum i have to put on a rims mount if you mount that directly on, if i mount it on the bass drum it seems to deaden the deadened drum is deadened uh, but almost every drum sounds better on a rims mount. But especially Camco, uh, one of the minuses is they're heavy drums, especially the bass drum, because they've got these big 
chrome, these big uh, washers lifting the lugs higher so they'll uh, uh, go over the counter hoop, the head, uh, head uh, so, so they'll fit onto the, uh, the claws so if it, they don't angle in. You know, they have, to be, they have to pull the lugs out farther. And if you take all those washers in your hand, they're heavy. I bet, yeah. Um, so they're heavy drums. Uh, another, uh, the lugs aren't real strong. In fact, the old George Way lugs, a lot of times they'll be, they'll be volcanoed or blown out, cracked out. They want to pull out, especially the old days with calfskin heads. People would tighten them and not loosen them, forget about it. And when the calfskin wants to go back, it's powerful. Yeah. And it would just blow them lugs right out. So they had weak lugs. Their throw-offs. Uh, we're known to break. There's a little, uh, a little part in there that's uh, a weak, weak point. And, um, you know, their, their tom holders later weren't the best. But, you know, so they had, they had their minuses, but their pluses, jasper shells with nice bearing edges, wide tuning range, and uh, microphones just love them drums. Mm. I just, the way they sound. So, uh, but back to the lugs, uh, I would... Uh, uh, I kind of like that new lug that Drum Workshop makes that on their performance series. Uh, it's a lot. It's about two thirds the size. Yeah, I've seen that. It's cool. It's just smaller, and that yeah, and it's less mass on the shell, lighter weight, cheaper to make. Uh, you know, I, if I I prefer that lug if I could get it, but. It, you know they are what they you know this is what you get on a camco drum yeah they're they're very um, iconic and uh and so mm-hmm. na- so now i'm actually working on getting them on the show and i met him at the chicago uh drum show but so ron Danette of Danette classic oh, yeah. drums he owns basically all of the george way trademark and a lot of his patents and stuff like that so um i just think that's good to note and uh also people can check out I forget the episode number. I think it was episode six or seven. I had Rob Cook on the show talking about Leedy uh, and the Leedy Way book. So um, Joe was talking about that earlier. You can refer back to that and um, hear a little bit more about George Way there. But so question for you, if I were to want to get into collecting Camcos, what is my best way to do that? Like, how much money do you typically need to buy a nice, decent drum set that doesn't need um, a ton of work? Is this like a Craigslist kind of lucky find thing, or are they a little bit harder to come across? Yeah, Camco drums are rare. Mm-hmm. In the early days, uh, I ended up with a lot of Camco drum sets because, uh, well, first of all, let's go back. John Aldrich opened up the floodgates for collectors with his not-so-modern drummer. Uh, started out as a pamphlet and all of a sudden he created a community of us people. I thought I was, I thought there were only a few people in the U S with the same disease that I had, (laughs) (laughs) this vintage drum thing. And all of a sudden I get his magazine with all this list of people who have the, you know, who are collectors and my, my phone bill went through the roof. That's back when you had to pay for long-distance phone calls. But everybody's got And uh, this was way before eBay or Craigslist or any of that stuff. And it was just, you know, uh, talking on the phone. And um, so back then, everybody, uh, I, I, I liked Camco drums. I just loved the way they sounded. And people would have a Camco set, and they'd call me. And uh, I'd have and to, 
just to sell it to me. And I'd ask them, have you played it? And they said, they'd usually say, no, I play Rogers or I play Ludwig. I play, you know, I play Gretsch Round Badge. I don't play Campos. You do, you know, and they just, most of the people didn't even try them. They just would launch them and, you know, I'd end up, so I ended up with a lot of sets. And, um, and then I had a business. I was selling, buying and selling. You know, of course, I collect a lot of different things, too. Uh, you know, just uh, it's all over the map of what I collect. But I play Campco drums. Okay. Uh, I had a business, and all of a sudden, my business took off. We got back-ordered on a product that I made. And um, all of a sudden, all these Campco sets and everything else is coming, and it's just getting piled up because I can't. I don't have time to get it out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so I ended up with a lot of drums, and I've, I've sold a lot of Campco sets. In fact, I see a lot of my Campco sets out there. Uh, Your babies, you know, either on eBay or yeah. In fact, I just saw one this morning. Steve Maxwell uh, has a video comparing the new Drum Workshop Santa Monica series, which they tried to duplicate a Campco, and he compares it to one of my old sets that I played a lot of gigs on. It's an old uh, charcoal moray which Amore is the satin finish, Campos' mm-hmm. word for satin flame. And 20-inch uh, bass, 12-14 with the matching snare, and he compares that to a, um, the new uh, DW. And uh, uh, only thing on my kit, uh, that kit, originally they came with straight legs. Straight legs will sh- on a floor tom, they will shut it off. They will stop it from resonating, so you want the flared legs. Uh, and also, like I said, with a 12 inch top tom, it's a good idea to put it on a rims mount or something to isolate it a little bit, but, but you get a good idea what camp goes sound like. It's a nice recording of both drums and, uh, but, oh, the DW has a beautiful finish. Oh man, I love their, I, I love the colors they do. But, uh, but anyway, you'll get an idea of what a camp go drum sounds like. There's a good, um, you know, on Steve Maxwell's, uh, site. Cool. And, uh. Yeah, but it's funny. There's, I like, I see my old sets all the time. I see my, uh, uh, what was it, uh, how long ago? 2012, or I, I don't know. I had two little Camco 18 inch kits. Red, they were both red sparkle. One was an aristocrat round lug kit, and the other was the tuxedo cigar shaped lug kit. Both 18, 12, 14 toms, matching snares. Both of them side by side, and both of those left me, and I, they pop up from time to time online and, or on the forums, uh, drum forums. Yeah. And uh, so it's kind of funny to see my, see my old, my, my kids all over the place. Yeah, well, it makes me think, because Camco <laughs> was only around for 17 years or whatever it is. They couldn't have produced, it's not like uh, Ludwig or even like Yamaha or these companies that have been around forever do you know roughly how many kits were actually produced in the like that are actually out there in the world? No, I, I don't. Nobody knows that. I was uh, speaking with Eddie Knight earlier today. Uh, Eddie Knight, big camp go endorser, educator, uh, and uh, uh, has the Eddie Knight School of Music. He sold a lot of Campco drum sets, and he put it with stamp Eddie Knight School of Music in his kits. Uh, he, oh, he also put Swivelmatic Rogers mounts on them and a cowbell holder on every kit. And, uh, but I asked him that question, and he had no idea. Now, he, he didn't even know how many sets he sold. Uh, but they did not sell a lot, obviously, because there are, right now, if you look online, I don't think you'll see a complete set. By complete, I mean with a snare drum, matching snare. Sure. That's how they usually came with a matching snare. 
they offered metal snare drums, but the, the matching, uh, and I'm, I'm talking about Oakland era now. Uh, yeah. And, uh, because the Oakland era is just in the, uh, you know, basically in the sixties, well, in 62 to 71. Well, there's a great uh, Facebook group that a lot of people are on, mm-hmm. and you can, I mean, obviously I don't own a Camco set, but it's cool to go on there and see people share their sets, and it's a really cool community. Um, and also, Joe, while I have you, so you, you kind of mentioned it before, you have an association, or you brought a product to market that's not Camco, but is the Hot Rods. What's the story with that? I mean, I know we, we're kind of running out of time here, but what's the, what, what happened there? Hot rods. Uh, well, they kind of uh, the unplug craze, you know. Uh, in fact, when I was talking about, I had a business that all of a sudden we were backordered. We were actually backordered for three years uh, making. Uh, I was backordered for three years making hot rods drumsticks because of the unplugged craze. Steve Ferroni used them on Eric Clapton's unplugged album, and that year it was in '95. I think I got that right. Uh, that became the album of the year, and all of a sudden. The, open the floodgates on unplugged gigs and almost every drummer used hot rods on their unplugged gig. Oh, and then Dave Grohl of Nirvana used them. And that meant, okay, kids, now you can use them. (laughs) (laughs) Now they're cool. (laughs) Yeah. Now even, even the youngsters can use them. And uh, so it kind of, uh, it just, it opened everything up and like we were, and uh, so that's what kind of made them famous. Uh, they were checking along pretty good back then, you know, before that. But and so I, I, I continued making the hot rods until the end of 2012, and uh, had eight employees. And uh, a younger fellow right in town here took it over, and all employees are still there. And That's they great. all the hot rods are made in the Minneapolis area. And now they go. Uh, they were originally went out to Houston to Promark. Now they go to Diderio, who bought Promark. So they ship out to New York City. Wow. Okay. So and, you guys uh, manufacture them, or now they manufacture them, and then they get labeled as mm-hmm. Promark or Diderio now. And, um, and Promark. Yeah, that's still Pro. Diderio yeah, yeah, owns yeah. Promark. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. They bought Promark. When they bought it, things were things changed, and and I had a buyer. It seemed like a good time to move on. Yeah, I, well, I had a bird in the hand. That that's what it was. It's it's not easy selling a uh, you know musical instrument manufacturing business. You know, no. especially when you want the employees to stay with it. And that was part of the you know he yeah. that was uh, wasn't written in the deal, but I knew he would keep that. And that was very important. You have to when you start a business, you realize after a while, employees rely on it. <laughs> you know, people's lives. That's something yeah. you don't think about in the beginning, but all of a sudden you, you become responsible. Yeah, yeah, but you must feel good, kind of being. Um being the guy where, where I think Hot Rods gets a, a name for, you know, such a classic thing that uh, you think Dave Grohl. I mean, honestly, in my, I'm 29, I think Dave Grohl mm-hmm. on the Unplugged. Um, so that's cool. It's a good little extra bit of bit of history. What's funny is Dave Grohl has to be the softest player of Hot Rods I've ever seen. Really? He's barely hitting the drums. Actually, there was a thing in Rolling Stone, it was called the Smoking Section, where Dave Grohl talks about it, and uh, that uh, uh, the, the, the session, and he said uh, Kurt was basically, he was going to walk out, because Kurt kept telling him to play quieter and quieter, and he couldn't. And finally, the producer came out with a set of Pro-Mark Hot Rods. It was kind of oh. corny, the way it's... <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and Dave used them 
him and he said, Kurt's eyes lit up. And then he goes on to say, Hot Rod, save that gig. Oh, my God. And I'm thinking, well, where's my Grammy? <laughs> yeah, where's your Grammy? <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, but no, he used them and uh, that was a big deal. Yeah, wow. it was a big one. Dave used them. And, um, but a lot of people, Phil, a lot of people, the first endorsers were Bill Bruford, who I was a big fan of, yeah. uh, Billy Cobham, and uh, Carl Palmer when we went with. Uh, when I went with Promark. And uh, then from there, a lot of people, Ringo used them. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's endless of people who use Phil Collins, just endless of people who use them. So, cool. yeah. So now everybody, what, what I think it really did was it opened up that whole field. Before people were making drums, you know, that whole field of what you hit the drums with. Now it's like mind-boggling what they're making, what they're making, what you can hit a drum with, and it's really uh, open. You know, just really opened it up. Yeah. You know, drummers have all these different utensils to work with. We live in a very cool era, um, which has kind of always been that way of innovative things um, coming out with drums. It's kind of in the the um, it's the George way, you know, to have these uh, <laughs> these new <laughs> things popping up and inventions and all that stuff, and some of them go away, some of them stay, and the really good ones stick around forever. Right, right. Yeah. Cool. Well, if you want to think of it, multi-rod-type drumsticks, they probably go back hundreds of years. Well, I did an episode yeah. about the history of drumsticks, and uh, we were talking about how I think there was a Mozart piece that called for, what is it? Right. Root, root, root Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. And um, and that kind of was mind-blowing to me, because I was thinking, I was going to say, oh, Joe Luoma and Hot Rods, and uh, and then he was like, well, they go back to uh, to Mozart's time, so... What's old is new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Cool. But now they're everywhere. Yeah. They're everywhere. No, well, <laughs> Joe, where can uh, where can people find you? I mean, if they want to get in touch and maybe see if you're selling any Camco sets or get some advice. As far as finding Camco drums, uh, I generally bring a set or two to Chicago. I sold a set last year. I actually, Steve, Steve Maxwell bought that, picked up that uh, Charcoal Moray set from me last year. Uh, the Chicago Drum Show, there's usually a couple sets there for sale. Uh, online, of course, everybody, you know, it's eBay or, or Reverb, you know. And, yeah, uh, yeah. But Camcos are hard to find. They just didn't make many drums. And uh, one thing great about it is the price stays consistent. They're never going to, I don't think they're ever going to go down in value. So it's a good investment. Right, right. Like kind of like Gretsch round badge. Sure. 18 inch kits. Yeah. You know, there are always, but there's a lot of those. There's quite a few 18 inch round badge kits. Camco sets, like I said, if you go on eBay right now, I don't, that, there was a there was a maple set on there. Yeah, pretty a double based mm. maple set. I think that one just went. So once more, they show up. Uh, they're pricey, but it's just it's a supply and demand. Yeah. Um, you know, I I paid more for some of I most of kit. I own quite a few kits, and they're mint. They're all almost mint condition now. Yeah. And I've paid. I've always paid the most. And this goes way back to before eBay, and uh, where I, we had to deal by phone, and uh, you had to ask what condition it is, and somebody would say, "What's well, a six out of a 10? I said, "I have no idea what that means. <laughs> yeah. Is it X? Is it mint?" Condition, excellent, mint, is there anything wrong with it? No, nothing at all, zero, no square. Okay, I, I want it, and I would pay more just because uh, there were no problems when I would get it. It's like, okay, there's no extra holes, no scratches, it's in mint, no rust, no pitting, it's mint. And so, and I always knew that mint kits, people will pay more for mint eventually. Sure. You know, it's just, people, drum kits take a lot of room. If you have two dozen drum kits, 
you've got to take up a lot of space. Two dozen guitars, not so not much. Not so much, know? no, yeah. Yeah, so drummers are a lot fussier about their stuff. Guitar <laughs> collectors say, you drummers are so fussy. Well, I said, yeah, yeah, put, put, two dozen, put two dozen drum sets in your closet. Yeah, really. You'll see why. Yeah, and each one is yeah. $2,000 or something. I mean, you want to be, mm-hmm. yeah, you want it to be right. Well, the guitars, you just move the decimal point over one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Because they don't flinch. 30000 okay. <laughs> okay, sure. Here you go. That's funny. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Joe, I uh, appreciate you being on the show and telling us about Camco, because honestly, like I said, it's this company that kind of has like a like a mystique about it. Like there's, there's it's just not everyone knows about it. Everyone knows DW. Everyone knows Tama. People, a lot of people know George Way, but uh, I'd say George Way and, and, and Camco, and it's just a cool kind of um, part of uh, history that, that is not talked about a lot. So I appreciate you being here. Well, I appreciate you having me, Bart. Yeah. Awesome. It's been fun. Absolutely. Yeah. And I will definitely see you at the next Chicago Drum Show, which is the 30th anniversary. And Joe was saying before uh, to me that he has been to every single one except the first one, and um, there's no plan on stopping. Maybe the second one, too. I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting. Maybe I've only been to, uh, next next 30, maybe I've only been to 27 instead of 28. Uh, That's still pretty good. I'll have to go good. back and see. <laughs> it's a lot of them. It's a lot. The 30-year anniversary next year, Rob Cook puts on this show. It's phenomenal for anybody who has not seen it. There's people from all over the world there. The clinics, all, all, everybody's phenomenal at the show and every, everything you'll, you'll and next year is going to be the big one oh yeah 30 year anniversary i'm going to bring a really i'm going to bring a real special billy gladstone snare drum to show cool um among other things so um uh we're we're going all in so uh, anybody who hears this get your tickets yeah get your tickets for the chicago show next may it's in may so next um, may cool and, uh, it'll be it's a lot of fun can't wait a lot of fun You'll be there, Bart, right? Yeah, I'll be there, and we'll be uh, hanging out and talking. I got a cool picture of Mike Corrado and Mark Cooper sitting at your booth, uh, giving a thumbs up with a drum history sticker. So that's that's pretty neat. Well, they're sitting in my tall, my nice, uh, my nice tall uh, director's chair. They're your director's chairs, yeah. All right, Joe, I'll let you go, man. Thanks for being on the show, and uh, I'll see you in May. Okay, we'll see you in May, Bart. Thank you. All right, bye, Joe. Okay, bye, bye. If you like this podcast, find me on social media at Drum History and please share, rate, and leave a review. And let me know topics that you would like to learn about in the future. Until next time, keep on learning. This is a Gwyn Sound Podcast.